Turn to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. I'm going to uh, finish our series we started several weeks ago on Worship Is. Vine's Expository Dictionary says that there is no place in the Bible that um, defines uh, worship. So what we've been doing is looking inside those um, occurrences of Scripture to see if we can find the character of worship. See if we can see what the heart of it is. The first week I said to you that worship is surrender. And then the week after we talked about how worship is transformation. This morning I want to share with you from a story you, you probably are familiar with. Worship is sacrifice. Turn it to Matthew 26 and let's just look at the story first together. Matthew 26 verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. If you would just leave your Bible open there, I want to reference another verse or two in a few minutes. What I want to try to do is is sort of... um, Tell this story how I think it might have happened. With, with some of the emotions that may have been there. With, with some of the things that you can almost read between the lines on. Without a doubt, this woman's expense, uh, perfume was very expensive. It, it had to be the most valuable thing she owned. It didn't seem to matter though. Although it did matter to Jesus' disciples, especially to Judas. Now, I just want to point out here, when I value what you own more than you do, there's going to be a problem. There's always going to be a problem. She didn't seem to care what people thought about her. What she did care about was how she could find a way to spill out her heart of love that was so full. And this is the only thing she could think to do. She raised this little glass vial over Jesus' head and turned it upside down until it completely emptied this sweet perfume onto Jesus. And as the last fragrant liquid dripped into his hair, she could only think one thing. I wish there was something else I could do. The room fell silent and there was a deafening pause that seemed to last a lot longer than it actually did. The perfume that drenched Jesus' hair had now drained down through his beard and soaked into his clothes. The first person to speak shattered the silence with these words. What a waste. What a stupid, silly, miserable waste. What an irresponsible thing for this silly woman to do. Don't let anybody fool you. There's a cost associated with worship. 
There's a price. There's a sacrifice. When we talked about worship as transformation, I asked you, when's the last time your worship changed you? Worship is sacrifice. I want to ask you the question this morning. When's the last time worship cost you something? When's the last time it required a sacrifice from you? King David, before entering the threshing floor, said, I will not bring an offering to my Lord that cost me nothing. Have you sacrificed time? Have you sacrificed money, energy, thoughts, emotions, attitudes? What about your pride? Has your pride paid a price? Any, any cost come out of your own ego? Have you sacrificed your will? Have you given up your own way? Have you paid a social price? How many, how many relationships have you suffered? How many relationships have you lost because of the worship in your life? Around the world, there is an extreme price being paid for worship. North Korea is the worst persecutor of Christians in the world. Christians worship in deep secrecy. Christians are considered a stability threat in North Korea and are hunted all over the country like animals. Being a Christian carries a more severe penalty than espionage in North Korea. The largest number of Christian worshipers today in North Korea are in concentration camps. It's estimated there are 200,000 political prisoners in the nation of North Korea. And 40,000 of those are Christians placed there alongside political prisoners because of who they worship. This past May... May of 2000, 2010, let me jump 10 years into the future. This past May in Afghanistan, a man named Said Musa was arrested by government authorities because he was seen on a television broadcast in the middle of Christian water baptism and worship. He was arrested and beaten, and in August he was moved to a different prison, and he was interrogated and beaten again. Because he was saw on a TV show baptizing people in water and worshiping God. It's estimated that 160,000 believers will die, will have died this year because of who they worship. And another 200 million will be persecuted, arrested, tortured, beaten, imprisoned. There are a lot of people paying a deep price for worship. A deep price. What about, what about me and you? What has worship costed us? Think about the cost of the lady in this story who poured this perfume out on Jesus. This perfume bottle... And and the contents of it were said to have cost about a year's salary. About a year's salary. The average annual income in Shelby County is somewhere around $65,000 a year. So now think about it for a minute. $65,000 worth of perfume poured out in seconds on Jesus' head. 
Can you imagine saving? Can you imagine how many years you would have to save the average person? And for sure, she fit this category. How many, how many years the average person would have to save to get $65,000 to spend it on perfume? And then, in a few seconds, drain it out. And it's gone. I think there are two really important things about the act that this lady performed. The first one is this. It's very unlikely this was impulsive. It's very unlikely this was impulsive. She prepared for it. Now that just made me think about something. If she were to have strategically prepared for however long it took her to save the money to buy this perfume to pour it out on him, it does say something to us about the nature and character of our worship. Worship is sacrifice. And it should be prepared for. How do do you prepare for worship? Well, I got up this morning and I took a shower and I put these clothes on and I came. I don't mean on the outside. How do you prepare on the inside? Do you rush into the event? Are you distracted? How do you quiet your mind? How, how do you prepare when you enter into worship with God? How do we keep it from becoming a repetition? Songs that we already know, words we just repeat, somehow disconnected from our mind and our soul and our heart. Something we do on the outside, but it's disconnected from the inside. How do we keep that from happening? Sacrifice. Cost. Cost prevents that. That's what prevents it. What makes something valuable is what it costs you. The dilemma we have is our access to God was given to us for free. It cost Him everything. But we get to enter in. But but worship by character is sacrificial. How do you quiet your mind? Maybe write down the to-do list so you can push those things away from you so you don't have to think about them. Prepare your spirit. The other thing that I see is not only did she prepare, her love was extravagant. It was extravagant. She surrendered to God in the deepest way that she knew how. She took the most valuable thing that she had and she poured it out all over Jesus. Think of all the things... That if Jesus said, think of all the things in your life, if Jesus put his finger on them and said, I want that. And you were to say, (laughs) ask for that. Have I shown you this? (laughs) Don't, Don't ask for that, Lord. Don't ask for that. It's like the little boy whose mom gave him two quarters as he walked to Sunday school. One to put in the offering and, and one for himself. As he was walking down the road, he was flipping them up in the air. One fell down, rolled down the street, rolled into a drain. He said, well, God, sorry, that was yours. <laughs> what are the things, if God put his hand on it and said, I want it. I want that possession. I want that relationship. I want that attitude. I want that habit. I want that car. I want that house. I want, I want it. What if he put his hand on it? I want that career. Whatever the least valuable of those things are that you would be hesitant or unwilling to give, that marks the depth 
and the extravagance level of your love and worship to God. What you have to understand is worship, deep worship doesn't have a calculator. Deep worship's not about math. It's not about adding up. It's not, deep worship never sits back and says, what would be an appropriate response at a time like this? That, that's not what worship says. Worship's desire is go to the furthest limit. That's the way God loved us. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. God didn't work His way up into His best gift. God started with His best gift. He went inside the treasury of heaven and said, What's the best thing I've got? I'm giving that first. Boy, that tells us something about the heart of worship, doesn't it? And that's what sacrificial worship says. I'm, I'm not, we don't have appetizers. I'm not working up into this. I'm here. I'm, I'm already here. God gave extravagantly. Worship that cost us something. It's offering all that we are to God because He already offered all that He is to us. You know, a gift's not really a gift when I can afford it. It might just be convenient. A gift is a gift when I have to sacrifice to give it. The other night, uh, I was staying in the living room, sitting in the living room, and our eight-year-old son, Tyler, he was walking around. You know how you know your kid's personality? You just know something's wrong. I I knew something was bothering him. I I knew something was going on. I didn't know what it was. He just had that look on his face, you know, and he's been sick and all that. So I I said, man, what are you, he was just kind of, he's one of those kind of people that are just sort of all out there. Everything's just all out there. He's just walking around, you know, just frustrated. looks like he doesn't know where he's going. So what are you doing? Are you okay? He's been sick. I said, do you feel all right? Yeah, I feel fine. And he he walked over, you you know, the kid lip, you know what I'm talking about? There's a big lip. I mean, he's all out there. Big old lip sticking down, his face down like this, his little belly sticking out and his face all wrinkled. He was like that. And you could tell he was trying to hold back. And he, had big, he had water in his eyes. He looked like he was about to cry. And I said, do you feel okay? Yeah. What's going on? He said, I lost a card. I said, you lost a card? What are you, what are you talking about? I lost a card. He said, I, I, I made a Christmas card for you and Mama. And I saved $20 and I put in it. And I was going to give it to you for Christmas. And I can't find it. I said, oh, here's a hundred dollars. What do you, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? Stop it. You can have whatever. Here's the keys to the car. What do you want? Isn't it true those gifts that cost somebody something mean the most? Worship is sacrifice. Worship to be worship will at some point have some level of sacrifice attached to it. I think sometimes that's what's missing from our worship. I think maybe sometimes that's why our worship isn't as rich as we had hoped it would be because it may just be there because it's convenient, not because it's sacrificial. Well, as you look back at the story, there's no surprise The disciples are angry. They're frustrated by all this. And they say, why is she wasting this? We could have sold the perfume and given the money to the poor. Do you realize that some people think that the time that you spend reading your Bible and praying is wasted? 
Do do you realize that? Are you you in touch enough with the non-Christian world to realize that there, there are a growing number of people who think that the time that you spend in worship and prayer is wasted? The time that you spend here gathered together, I mean... Now, not today, because it looks like we're uh, hunkering down for a blizzard, but if you were out on Sunday at the park or water skiing or grilling out or watching football at home or shopping or, you know, really getting quality rest, that people feel like if you're not doing that, doing this, there, there are people that think that you're wasting your time. That, that, that I mean, all of this is really, really a waste. And to some people, worshiping God seems like a waste. A waste of energy. I mean, look, I, I, I grew up in the South. I'm a Christian. I mean, I love God as much as you do, but there's no reason to show it. I, I, I'll just stand here staring at the front. I have a measured and calculated response because I don't want to waste anything. To some people, giving's like a waste of money. Why, why do you work so hard only to give your money to that, to that missionary or give your money to the church? Who knows where all that goes anyway? To some people, lifting your hands and clapping and singing and closing your eyes and worshiping and crying and experiencing joy. To some people, it's a waste. I wonder how God sees it. We don't have to wonder. I, th- I think we know in Jesus' response. In Jesus' answer, we get a clue on what he must think about it. Do you know how Jesus answered when they said, Hey, this lady's wasting this. What a waste. Jesus' answer was, Why are you bothering this woman? (laughs) What's wrong with you? Why, Why are you bothering this woman? Isn't Jesus' answer interesting? The poor will always be with you, but I'll not be with you much longer. You know, I do believe that that tells us something about worship. There is an issue of timing with worship. There is an issue of timing. There are some things that we can do anytime, but there are other things that once we miss them, they are gone. They are gone. I don't, I don't know. I don't know everything. But maybe if this woman would have missed this opportunity to bring the alabaster jar then, maybe it would have never come. Maybe there, would have been, there wouldn't have been another opportunity. I think one of the things that, that can, can mislead us, one of, the, one of the things we can misunderstand in our own free access and liberty in God is, is that He'll always be the same and He'll always be there. So whenever we get ready for Him, we can just do it. I wonder if there's any way about that that we can abuse the grace of God. I wonder if there are those moments that God has put his hand on and if you miss them, you like miss them. And they won't come again. Now, you don't want to set some legalistic guilt-driven energy on that. But surely, but surely there's something here to do with timing. How many times do we sense that we should say something or, or give a word of encouragement or give a gift or send an email or send a text or, or, or put our arm around somebody and we don't do it and it's gone. It's just gone. It's not there. And now, well, now, now, now what do we say? What do we say? What do we always say? Well, now the time's not right. Circumstances, something has changed. 
Something has changed. But Jesus is saying, you can serve the poor and you should serve the poor. But there are those opportunities of worship with God that will not be repeated. See, I sort of think God is, I think he's kind of struck on this thing. He actually thinks that we should live on his time frame instead of him on ours. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That, that there are those moments that he wants to do something, and for reasons we probably don't even understand. All the ingredients are right. And he says, now, now. And if we miss that, it might come again. I don't know that we're guaranteed it will. It might not. We should approach God with that sense of sacrifice. There is a providence. There is a uniqueness about this opportunity. There is a uniqueness about this time. Boy, and let's use it for all God's glory we can. Let's, let's, let's do like this lady. Let's pour it out. We should give of ourselves with that level of generosity and sacrifice. It's okay to sacrifice extravagantly because this opportunity might not repeat itself. We should have that sense of urgency. There'll always be really good things to do, but there'll be an appropriate time to withdraw from them just to worship. I mean, serving the poor, obviously, obviously that's what Jesus' life was about. And our life should be about helping the needy. But there is that moment that you withdraw for that act of worship. You know, Matthew says that the disciples said, you're wasting that perfume. What a waste. Another gospel actually tells us which disciple said it. Anybody want to take a guess? Judas. I am shocked. I never saw this coming. He's been in timeout since Jesus had disciples. And we never saw this coming. Judas is the one who says, what a waste. I know you know what verse 13 says. We tend to read the scripture in subcategories. This crosses over into the next story. But would you look at verse 14 and 15 now? Remember, Judas is the one that said, what a waste. Now look at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. That is very, very profound. I, I, I want to give you a little insight into the inner workings of the heart and what it has to do with worship. Watch out for religious people who recoil from extravagant worship. I'm not talking about expression. I'm talking about spirit. Watch out for people, religious people, who recoil. They will justify their complaint with, this money could better be spent on the poor. They will always justify their reservation with a purer cause. How could Judas sit there and say, this is wasted, but fill my coffers 
with 30 silver coins and I'll give him to you. Back to back. So what does that tell you? Judas' real issue wasn't the poor. But that's what they'll tell you. That's what that spirit will tell you. Judas' real issue wasn't the poor because he betrayed Jesus for money. I wonder how much of that he gave to the poor. The real issue was was things were not going the way he thought they should go. The extravagant generosity of this woman was challenging the greedy religion of his heart. Jesus wasn't doing Christianity the right way and Judas was determined to fix it. But the truth is, the truth is, and listen to this this morning, the truth is that level of that poor broken woman who had saved what she had, bought that expensive gift, $65,000 of extravagance, she didn't even blink at it. She came and dumped the thing on his head. And that level of extravagant, extravagant worship, sacrificially poured out on Jesus, challenged Judas' heart. It wasn't about the poor, and it wasn't about money. Her extravagant love revealed his anemic love. And it blew his mind out. And it frustrated him, because it revealed to himself that day who he really was. Don't don't respond quickly to the person who has a purer cause when it comes to splitting numbers over worshiping Jesus. Don't get sucked into that. If you're taking notes this morning, I could summarize the whole thing like this. Religion leads to selfishness and relationship leads to sacrifice. Relationship will cause you to sacrifice. Religion will cause you to become more selfish. Now Jesus wrapped this story up and he said something fascinating to me that I I don't... I don't know of anywhere else that he said. Wherever in the world my message is taught, this woman's going to be talked about. This sacrificial act of worship meant so much to Jesus that he said, write her name down in the Bible and everywhere my gospel is preached, I want her story to be right beside it. Wherever my story goes, I want her story to go. I mean, I think about all those things he didn't say that about. About all the healings, all the miracles, all the, all the missionary journeys. All, so many things that he didn't specify that way. They're in there, we've got them. But he didn't specify it that way. I don't, I don't know everything that means. But it seems like to me, that little precious act of sacrificial worship meant so much to Jesus personally. Remember where we're reading from. It's Matthew 26. It's the final week of Jesus' life on earth. Things were getting darker by the minute. They were getting harder. They were getting darker. The betrayal, the sellout, the confusion of the disciples, the Pharisees. It seems as though they finally have their hands on Him. Darkness has risen to a point that it looks like it's finally going to triumph. Three years of Jesus' public ministry is about to end. 
Not to mention the weight of the whole world on his shoulders. Your sin and mine striped on his back. And in the middle of that pressure, in the middle of a global and cosmic pressure that none of us could possibly fathom, this little woman comes in and empties a vial of perfume on his head. That must have been like a beacon light shining in a dark night. I wonder, I wonder if he could still smell that perfume when he was on the cross. It's just a few days. It was a year's salary worth of perfume. It must have been very strong. Meant to only be used in small dabs. But she emptied the whole thing on his head at one time. I wonder if it stained his hair and he could smell it. I believe he could, I believe he could figuratively smell it in his spirit. But I wonder if he couldn't literally smell it. I wonder if there on the cross with the lashes on his back, the crown being shoved onto his head, if he couldn't reach over and smell that little aroma inside his stained clothes. That had to mean the world to him. In the middle of a dark, broken world, it, it had to shine. You know, when Stacy and I were first married and just been on staff at a church for a year, we went to buy a house. And um, one of the staff pastors there, understanding our situation, he, he lended us the money for the down payment on our first house. I had never met him in my life until I moved there. Didn't know him. We weren't relatives. And I thought, wow, this is, I can't believe he would do this for me. He doesn't know me. And, and we were paying him back. We were both working and, and making enough money we could pay him back pretty quick. But as life would have it, circumstances changed. And, and my wife had to withdrew, withdraw from her job. And I remember going to him and saying, look, I, I'm so sorry. I can't, uh, I'll pay you everything. I just, it's going to be a lot, four or five times longer than I thought. And here's what I think I can do every month. And, and, um, he said, okay. And so the next day I I had a little piece of paper. I was going to sign a little contract, you know, because I wanted him to know that I was serious. I really wanted to do what I was supposed to do. And, and I remember him looking across the desk at me. I still remember it. And he looked at me and he said, don't worry about it. It's taken care of. And it was several thousand dollars. It was a very significant amount of money to us. And I can rem- look, I could stand here this morning and I could tell you every hateful thing anybody's ever said to us. I could tell you of acts of betrayal and undermine and challenge and darkness and things people said about my wife and my kids and me. I could stand and tell you all that. But can I tell you something? That, that act of kindness that that man showed to us stands out like a bright light in a history of things that have sometimes gone wrong. And I just wonder sometimes as Jesus looks down on this world and it's turned into something he never intended for it to be with hunger and famine and disease and and genocide and murder and violence and war and drug addiction. I wonder if Jesus ever looks down into the darkness and he sees one of us standing there in a moment of pure goodness, just lifting up sacrificial worship to him. And I wonder if he doesn't just go... 
smells good. I wonder if he doesn't look at that and just say, you know what? It stands out like a pure light in a dark, broken world. Worship is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. This morning, we've got, we've ended 10 minutes early. I can just say, we're done and you can go and you can find a way to spend 10 minutes. Or I just wonder if we could stop, clear our mind, empty our heart, and and just offer, as, as pure as we can, offer up to Him a sacrificial worship that will just bless Him. Right here at the right here at the Christmas season, when we're really celebrating the gift that He gave to us, we can give back to Him. Would you stand with me this morning?